Cold right around the freezing mark Thursday night with an overnight low around 32 degrees. Upper 40s on your Friday. Cloudy morning leading into some shower activity late afternoon into the evening. Begin 47 the high. We'll get some rain. Heavier earlier in the evening. Don't be surprised if you see a thunder shower pass through the Blackstone Valley. Well below the freezing mark Friday night. A low of 26 degrees. And it looks like we'll start the weekend off with some sunshine and mid 40s on Saturday. This is Jeff Kamash with WNRI Weather. The views expressed on the following program of those of its hosts and participants in no way reflect those of the staff or management of WNRI. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. It's time for the John DePietro Show here on News Talk WNRI, 1380 AM and 99.9 and 95.1 FM. He's a special kind of sentinel. Mr. DePietro, who is in the eye of the storm. Suddenly, John DePietro became the story. Radio talk show host John DePietro. All right, here we go, folks. Good afternoon, one and all. It's Juan. John DePietro, this portion of our program is brought to you by K's. Remember, whether it's lunch, dinner, or drinks in the lounge, stop by K's. They're waiting for you. Well, let's bring him on. He is, uh, by my belief, one of the top attorneys, legal experts in our state. He's also our legal expert, also attorney. We want to say uh, good afternoon to our friend attorney, Tim Dodd. Good afternoon, Tim Dodd. Hey, John. Good afternoon to you. Uh, Tim, if you don't mind, let's start off with, uh, this is to me almost like something out of a movie, and it has to do with the Hells Angels. And someone who uh, they deemed has been, or they, they have reason to believe that he is in fact the leader of the Hells Angels. According to the news reports that, uh, that I was following, there was some kind of an altercation over the weekend at the Cadillac Lounge, which is a, uh adult gentlemen's club in Providence. And the altercation started inside the club. It went outside of the club. There was someone that was apparently punched in bleeding. And what is interesting about this, I think, is the fact that apparently the person who was uh, hit and punched uh, told police that he didn't want to press charges in any way. But despite that, they're still holding the reputed reportedly head of the Hells Angels, still holding him uh, without bail at the ACI. Yes, there's a lot of moving parts in this story. Um, the, the, the gentleman who is being held without bail uh, currently, Joseph Lancia, is the uh, purported uh, president of the Rhode Island branch of the Hells Angels. Um, now, several months back, uh, allegedly, uh, Mr. Lancia uh, fired a weapon at a uh, gentleman driving by the club headquarters here in Providence. And um, Mr. Lancia claims that the altercation led to him exercising some self-defense because the guy driving by, whose name is Starnino, was apparently pointing a gun or threatening him. So who knows? We don't know what the quality is or whether any videos of this situation exist. But in any event, Lancia gets charged with a felony regarding the gun incident. I think it was back in June, approximately. So now he's out on bail. So for the first incident, what happened, which happened last year, he gets bailed. So he's walking around. But when you're released on bail, 
you promise to keep the peace and be of good behavior. And if you break the conditions of your bail, essentially by getting arrested for a new charge, you can be held. So when he got arrested for this altercation at the Cadillac Lounge, he's held as a bail violator pending a bail violation hearing. A bail violation hearing um, occurs in, a, in, in which if bail is not set, uh, a judge can hold you without bail for up to 90 days. And after 90 days, bail either has to be reviewed and, and set or you've got to go to trial on the underlying charge. So right now, Mr. Lancia is being held for up to 90 days. Now, he could get out sooner, bail could be reviewed, or he could be ready with his counsel to go to trial. But that's a very fast track. What I've looked at in the paper suggests that he could have wrapped up the whole thing by admitting to be a violator, doing 75 days at the ACI, and the case would be done. He chose not to um, admit to the violation of bail. So he's in the can somewhat indefinitely, certainly for up to 90 days, unless something happens in the interim. Now, his counsel says that um, as far as the, um, that he was entrapped, okay, and that that's going to be part of the case, that this guy, Starnino, is cooperating with the cops and that uh, he behaved in a manner to entrap uh, Mr. Lancia. I'm not sure if there's an entrapment element to this case, but the tricky bit for Mr. Lancia is if you claim entrapment, essentially you're acknowledging that the crime occurred, just that you were induced to commit a crime you would not have otherwise committed based upon the conduct of cops or you know undercover informants, things of this nature. So if it's self-defense, it's not entrapment. Um, if you claim entrapment, you're acknowledging that you committed the crime. It's just a question of whether you were set up, so to speak. Um, the decision to take this forward and not just wrap it, um, only time will tell if it was a smart election on Mr. Lancia's part. It seems like he's got some problems. From what I'm led to believe, the altercation at the Cadillac Lounge is likely on video because clubs of that nature are pretty well wired with video cameras. So Very much so. I'll, That's right. I'll, I'll, I'll bet you for sure this incident, if it occurred, is on video. The question would be the incident with the gun, which would be a felony. The question is, is there a video of that event? And certainly, if there are videos, you know, good defense counsel will be challenging the admissibility of the videos. Do they get into evidence? You know, were they um, procured correctly? Have they been handled correctly? Have they been preserved correctly? There's a lot of ways you can try to knock out that type of evidence, because if it comes in, it's incredibly damning for the defendant. If there you are doing, <laughs> doing the alleged crime on, on camera, um, that's not the best thing to have. If Lancia knows that they've got these videos and he persisted to say, no, I'm not going to take the deal, I'm not going to wrap it, I'm not going to do my 75 days and admit to being a bail violator, um, he's taking a big chance. Whether or not this guy Star Starnino is in fact a cooperating witness could be an important 
element, and perhaps that's why Lancia wants to force the issue, to force Starnino to get up on the stand. He can be asked on cross-examination, are you cooperating? What cases have you cooperated with? Have you been promised any rewards or inducements for your cooperation? Um, and if Starnino is involved with the cops, he would have to tell the truth and explain what it is he's doing. Um, Lancia's defense counsel has certainly brought out that um, Starnino has been involved in a number of recent um, criminal incidences, and the disposition on his criminal cases, Mr. Starnino's cases, are very mild. Cases get dismissed, cases get reduced down. Um, he's gotten very soft treatment by the system, um, so soft that you would have to suspect or at least be curious as to whether or not he's getting favorable treatment in exchange for some sort of cooperation. So by not taking the deal, Lancia can force that issue. And, you know, Mr. Starnino allegedly wanted to be a Hells Angels member. Allegedly, he was not accepted into the club. But if it's revealed that you're a guy who's cooperating with the cops, um, you know, you're not going to be... Um, the favorite of many people, I would presume, in that organization if you're out there helping the cops go after Hell's Angels members. You know, Tim, it's interesting. Um, it's a whole different underworld. Um, you know, I heard from one <clears throat> source that I have that was was uh, either arriving at the club or had been at the club or some involvement uh, with the club. I'm not going to disclose exactly that. But but um, is it, it? he was saying that uh, this individual, this Lancer, he is someone that is is known to police is that that fair to say at this point the fact that it would seem that even though if this were a normal situation where there's some kind of an altercation someone was you know it sounds like a bro broken nose or some blood coming from the nose and some kind of a fight or something happened and then the person says i i don't want to press charges or anything that a lot of times this might go away but this person was commenting it was interesting that David LaPayton and the Providence Police, they were like, oh, no, 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 we, we have, we, we have uh, witnesses, There's, there could be video of this, this guy definitely hit it, and we're going to keep him, we would like him held without bail. Well, I have no personal knowledge, but I would presume the cops or the Providence Police and the State Police are well aware of Mr. Lancia. I mean, he's not the president of the Rotary Club, no. he's the president of the Hells Angels, yeah. and, you know, typically law enforcement keeps a close eye on groups of that nature. Um, they they operate in a world that is foreign to most Rhode Islanders. It's it's a it's a subculture that's not very widely reported on. They've got their own world, their own rules they live by, but certainly they're involved in activities that always catch the eye of law enforcement. So they know who he is. Folks, good afternoon. It's Sean DePietro speaking with Attorney Tim Dodd. Well, Tim. Uh, all eyes continue to be third floor of the state house. Last week, there were a number of people. I was getting messages starting on Monday, and then it built on Tuesday. Uh, the grand jury didn't find anything. It's all quiet. They wrapped it up regarding this is uh, a grand jury that's been convened by all accounts. to. Uh, it has to do with the Rhode Island Convention Center. Now, I have spoken with at least one person. I'd have to think, I think even two, but I'd have to think about it, that have testified in front of the grand jury. And more importantly, we've learned that it is, it is not stopping. Initially, we, we, the news was that the grand jury wrapped up with Frank Montanaro, 
who heads the JCLS top right-hand man to Speaker Mattiello, Leo Skenyon, Mattiello's chief, the Speaker's chief of staff, and then Jim Demers, um, there was reported, the former security person that was really in the, the, the thick of this, kind of the crux of the whole thing. And then uh, I know that there were various people at the State House trying to say, see, it's over, nothing happened. Well, now we've learned you have uh, Patrick Butler, who's, who's on the convention center board, you have George Nee, who also sits on the board, and also Bernie Bernano, who's the chairman of the Island Convention Center board. He was the initial one that asked uh, for the state police to look into this, that they have been subpoenaed. And then there's also a report that attorney, and I believe lobbyist Andrew Arnaldo, that he received a subpoena, which is interesting because I had heard from my sources that he had already testified in front of the grand jury. But anyhow, from a legal standpoint, what is this latest wave of subpoenas regarding grand jury, um, what does that tell us, Tim Dodd? I believe next week is when they're going to go in front of the grand jury. Well, the the prosecutors are still drilling down, and they're doing their due diligence, and the um, investigation has been um, extended so that more witnesses can come in. Apparently, the latest is um, allegedly that Leo Skenyon had a meeting at a restaurant with Patrick Butler who's on the convention center board, and allegedly Skenyon is a messenger on behalf of the speaker, uh, saying that, you know, if Demers loses his job or is interfered with, then um, essentially there's going to be hell to pay. We're going to do an audit, and we know there's shenanigans going on at the convention center, and, you know, we're going to dig in and make a lot of people there uncomfortable. Apparently, the message was delivered, and the convention center board pushed back. Um, There's a good piece in uh, Go Local where they really expand on the complaints that were made by Amanda Wilmoth against Demers and the outrageous conduct that he allegedly subjected her to in the workplace, which was so over the top that... There was no way. The, if the convention center had kept Demers and said, no, let bygones be bygones, come on back, Wilmoth would have had a tremendous lawsuit because once she complains about that sort of work harassment to her superiors, if the superiors don't correct the situation by either counseling Demers, firing Demers, doing something, and the, the uh, situation is allowed to continue, um, she would be setting up the convention center for a heck of a lawsuit. So the convention center, even if they wanted to accommodate the speaker's office interests, if that's legitimate, there's no way they could have kept this guy. His conduct was outrageous. There's emails, there's texts, there's all sorts of correspondence between Demers and Wilmoth where Demers was threatening um, you know, harassing, um, insisting on a relationship, and if they didn't have a relationship, he was going to ruin her life, and he is a retired state cop, and state cops know how to do sneaky things. I mean, it was just unbelievable the extent to which this guy was putting stuff like this in writing. And as you and I have talked about many times, don't put anything in writing. But this guy must have felt bulletproof that because he was an ex-state trooper and or because he was friends with uh, important political figures, that he had some protection and he could do this to this woman. So the convention center says, no, we're not going to keep um, Demers. 
and they object to the uh, pressure they were receiving from the Speaker's office, and then we're off to the races. The question still remains, as it has since we started speaking about this, is the conduct of the Speaker or any of his subordinates sufficient to satisfy the extortion statute? That remains, in my view, an open question. Now, Tim, I want to um, just back up for a moment, because I think from what I understand, within the grand jury, <clears throat> the timeline has been brought out. The timeline is very important. And I've learned several things. I've learned that the Go Local Prob, I'll give them credit, their story that came out yesterday, and it says in December, Matty Ellis sent a message to Convention Center via Skenyon at Constantino's Restaurant. They go into detail. Now, the way it was described to me, this, this account is accurate. It was the Friday night. This thing had been building during the week. And not only was Skenyon, this was not a chance meeting, not only was Skenyon sent on behalf of Mattiello, but Butler, Patrick Butler, who I've known for a long time, he was sent on behalf of the convention center. So both are kind of sending their uh, representatives, so to speak, um, in order to meet. And Skenyon, as it was reported, and then I've heard, he once again reiterates that if anything happens with Demers, there's going to be some blowback. Now, that was Friday night, December 20th. Uh, the convention center hears that. They move ahead. And then on Monday, the 23rd. So they met on the Friday, December 20th. Saturday's the 21st. Sunday's the 22nd. Monday, the 23rd, uh, the convention center pushes back. Demers is still suspended. And then is that Monday is when the audit goes in. Now, I want to actually just read, uh, come back on something. He, he may have been suspended that day, but the meeting did place, take place on the Friday night. And most importantly, the, the Monday was when the audit suddenly appeared out of nowhere and was ordered. Now, what bearing does it have, Tim Dodd, that the way, again, I was told that the Go Local story is accurate, the timeline is what they've zeroed in on, does this change the dynamic, Tim Dodd? Because the way this comes across is that both parties seem to be aware of, you know, what was going on. And this wasn't a chance meeting, right? So then there's text or an email, I'll see you Friday night. They pick the spot. There's a meeting date. What's the agenda for it? They both send emissaries there. And then it's reiterated. If Demers is not reinstated, there's going to be hell to pay. I don't know specifically the conversation of when... Butler then says they're not backing down or how that went across, but it was very clear that as a result of their reaction to it, uh, meaning the convention center, that, that according, uh, allegedly, the Mattiello people then lowered the boom. Does this change the dynamic? Because it just seems as if there's, there's more of a kind of a paper trail, if you will, or maybe emails, texts. There's more people involved, and both sides seem to be aware that this thing was building towards this conclusion. It, it does appear that way. You're right, John. And it also, from the uh, article that we're referring to, it seems that Demers was aware of, forgetting about his own situation vis-a-vis -vis this woman, let's presume, and we don't really know fully, let's presume that Demers was aware of other irregularities occurring um, at the convention center, financial mismanagement, misappropriation of funds, you know, whatever the case might be. 
and let's assume for the sake of this discussion that Demers is going back to Nick or other people in that orbit saying, you know, you can't believe what's going on at the convention center. There's this and there's this and there's this and there's all these things going on um, that are improper or illegal or unauthorized. Um, would that make, hypothetically, the notion of having an audit more reasonable because they'd been holding off but know that an audit is necessary? I mean, certainly Nick should have um, had a meeting of the committee, said we know that there's some shenanigans over there, put it to a vote and started. By doing it, as you say, like three days after the overture was rejected, Right. Su suggests, obviously, oh, you're, you're going to knock out Demers, here's your audit. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Right. Still not sure that that's extortion. Now, I want to get to uh, something else within this statute, which is 1142.2. And, and it comes down to, and it was something you said, which was, and again, based on the information that this Amanda put forth in the complaint. And I, I believe moments ago you said, based on that, if, if the convention center did not move to terminate Demers, they would then run the risk of a major lawsuit. What about, Tim, within the statute where it says... Um, prohibit any person from carrying out a duty imposed by law. Now, could that fit the criteria? The convention center said, are thinking, listen, based on this guy's actions, we have no other alternative other than to terminate him. And then, allegedly, the speaker's people intervene and try to stop them from doing that. Could be. I mean, it, it certainly could be. If the message was, you know... Um, if the, if that linkage can be made, you could be right. Again, I I still think the overriding um, um, intent of the statute doesn't really square with this conduct. Yep. But if you're going to make the case, I think that the attorney general's office would be pounding on the language that you just suggested. Um, I'm not sure it's enough. Again, I just have a. I, Certainly, we've seen in other cases that, you know, the grand jury can indict anyone if the AG leads the grand jury to that conclusion. Right. Um, and they may well do so in this case. I just don't think that this conduct and this whole intrigue quite squares with the statute as written. Yep. And again, I, the, the other part, uh, the other part of that is the intent to compel any person to do any act against his or her will or prohibit any person from carrying out a duty imposed by law. I just wonder if, and again, this is all based on the information that we've gotten so far. If that all proves to be true, convention centers, listen, based on his conduct, we were up against the wall. There was no other out other than termination. And then therefore, you, you are, now, I'll give, if I want to give benefit of the doubt, we could say, perhaps, the speaker was unaware of that conduct. That that person was engaged in, and instead was told there was some kind of regular error, um, you know, something irregular going on. But nonetheless, they're moving what they feel is like we we have a, 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 a human resource nightmare. We have to move to terminate this person, and and then the speaker's office speaker himself, is standing in the way of them carrying out that duty. 
Yes, that could be correct. Okay. I mean, it's, it's a really a question of what Nick knew and when he knew it. Sure. And whether he was authorizing his subordinates to go make these overtures or if somehow Demers was reaching out to people other than the speaker saying, hey, can you help me out here? Good Who, point. I don't really know. I right. don't really know. But my contention from the start of this is if, if, if the speaker gets indicted, it's political disaster for him. Sure. But right. let's now put let's put the politics of it aside. Legally, as though, a, maybe as a not criminal so much. Case, yeah. As a criminal case, it would be very defendable. But right. By that time, the damage is done to his career. Yes. Now, Tim, I have another question on this. And again, folks, good afternoon. We're speaking with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. What about Tim? Now, you know, not to be too dramatic here, but um, the whole element of the RICO statue was designed. <clears throat> To go to combat basically organized crime drug lords where, you know, the mob boss in New York would bring in one of his underlings and tell him, go take care of the problem in the Bronx. And then the soldier for the Gambino crime family goes out and carries out some kind of act of violence. And it was basically established, my understanding, to because the at the time before you had the Rico statue, the. Godfather, the mob boss, whoever could, or the drug lord, could say, hey, I wasn't the one that pulled the trigger on him. I didn't see that guy. I didn't leave my home and everything. But they basically established a criminal enterprise of chain of command. Does this somehow change a dynamic where Matty, you know, to his defense, Speaker Mattiello, he was not the one conversing with Butler. He was not the one sitting there, allegedly, on Federal Hill that Friday night, December 20th. I, I don't know anything, but but does it change the dynamic, Tim, that he sent his person, chief of staff, to basically deliver the message? Well, yes, and that conduct of Skenyon, if true, could be imputed back to Nick if Nick, you know, authorized it. And that would then be the next question. You know, did Leo, if this is all true, receive his marching orders from Nick? Um, you know, does Nick have plausible deniability? Can he... Can he claim that his underlings were acting to protect his buddy Demers without Nick's knowledge. But that's where you get into the real nitty-gritty of what's being said at the grand jury and are all the people who are in the Mattiello tent, are their stories consistent? Are there discrepancies? You can almost be certain there'll be discrepancies. I mean, it's, it's impossible that people can have their story locked up so Precisely, And that's, I'm sure, part of where the AG is drilling down. We also don't know if any of these folks who have been um, named in the paper, are any of them cooperating? Have any of them been offered immunity deals? You're not going to know that for a while. Uh, let's move on to, uh, boy, t- uh, Tim, a lot of talk coming out of the Supreme Court between <clears throat> whether or not you know Schumer reprimanded. Um, but also the um, the Supreme Court case on presidential power. If you could kind of touch on that, yeah, the Supreme Court has a lot going on this term. It's 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 really um, going to be a dynamic year for the Supreme Court. One of the first cases they're taking up is as to the notion of presidential power. Now, this to give it some context, the president is the head of the executive branch runs, you know, the titular head for the State Department, the FBI, the CIA, all of the department heads. And as we've seen, 
uh, at one point he fires James Comey. And all of the opponents of that action say, well, you should have, you know, articulated that you had good cause for firing him. It had to be a good faith firing. You only fired him because you were afraid that he was going to cover more dirt on your association with the Russians. Um, the president said, hey, I'm the boss. I can fire this guy. I want my own guy. I don't want a holdover from the Obama administration. And largely, that's his view on the case that's currently before the Supreme Court. Now, he can get, he can terminate as the, as the head of the executive branch, CIA director, FBI director, Department of Defense, you know, all the normal people you would think of. This case involves an independent agency, quote-unquote, an independent agency. And in this case, it's something called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which, ironically, is some organization, some administrative um, animal that was created largely by Elizabeth Warren. Now, because it's a, quote-unquote, independent agency, the question is, does the president have the same unilateral power to fire the head of an independent agency as opposed to, let's say, a department head? Um, folks who want to rein in President Trump's power say that, no, you, this can't go firing people if they're doing their job in a faithful manner. You've got to articulate that you're terminating them um, for good cause shown. The president's saying, I don't have to show good cause. I want my people in there. So a president could be left in a situation, and President Trump largely was, that he had department heads in different agencies and organizations who were not his pick, who were actually loyal to the previous administration. And he's saying, I don't have to justify myself. I want my people. I want this person out. So... The real question is, with independent agencies, does he have to do more than just exercise power, or does he have to articulate a basis for the firing, such as poor job performance, neglect, things of this nature? Um, the suspicion is that the, the Supreme Court, as it's currently composed, is more likely to give the president broad power to terminate these independent um, um, agency heads for any reason. So the, the media portrays it as a power grab by the administration. And I guess it is a power grab because if successful, the president will have a lot more latitude to get rid of people in independent agencies for any reason he wants. Um, the opponents and those that will probably be in the minority on the uh, Supreme Court is currently composed are going to try to rein in presidential authority and require a basis for it so that it can't be, let's say, political retribution versus poor job performance. Um, I guess the early betting line is that the president might get his wish and that he might get this expansion of his power uh, to be recognized by the court. Now, Tim, there's also, um, Tim, what do you make of um, Senator Schumer with uh Things he was saying, it certainly seemed out of bounds, and that I'm glad that Justice Roberts spoke out about this whole business of, you know, they're going to pay for this and everything else. That that's certainly threatening language. It was completely wrong. It was despicable language. It was beneath the dignity of any senator, let alone the Senate Minority Leader. 
um, you know, being a lawyer, we we are taught and it becomes habit and it becomes something you really feel to respect the court. That's why you call them your honor, judge, justice. You don't call them Kavanaugh. You don't call them... Um, um, I, I can't think of the other guy right now, but the way he... Gorsuch. Listen, Gor, listen yeah. Gorsuch, yeah. listen, Kavanaugh. I mean, that is just so disrespectful. That You know, you just don't do it, and to... It's like when they call him Trump. Like, he wouldn't like, hey, Schumer, what are I you doing? I can't stand that. It is so disrespectful. I, I just... I, that is a pet peeve with me. I can't stand that. People won't use the title. Right. Now, even if you're not a fan, let's say, of President Obama, by way of example, you'd still call him President Obama. You would hear that Obama. Um, So when Schumer does this, the media doesn't really um, scold him for it, particularly. Chief Justice Roberts came out and said, you know, this is this is this is bad conduct and it could have dangerous consequences. Schumer said, you better watch out. You better watch your back, essentially. You're going to get hit. You're never going to know what hit you. Now, there's enough zealots on both sides of the aisle, conservative zealots and uh, liberal-slash-progressive zealots, who um, might take that message from Schumer and decide to do something more violent with that message and to try to do something in furtherance of that message. And it's completely inappropriate. Now, Schumer was giving that message to Gorsuch and to Kavanaugh regarding the case that's coming up, which could affect abortion rights. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but that's the backdrop. And I think the abortion rights proponents are very scared that the case going up before the Supreme Court right now could um, um, hurt the precedent set in uh, Roe v. Wade, and it could have a compromising effect on, you know, the the liberal um, right and access to abortion, which is in, which is recognized nationally right now. Yeah, touch on it though, Tim. While we have you, yeah, touch on it. I'd like to hear about it. So the the other very important case, which is coming down the pike with the Supreme Court, uh, this companion cases, they're out of Louisiana. June Medical Center or Services, excuse me, versus Russo and June Medical Services versus Gee. They both talk about the same elements. Now, the elements of the case are that local state legislatures attempt to create, let's assume you take a state which doesn't have a um, bias in favor of abortion. Let's call it an anti-abortion state for the sake of discussion. They come up with something called TRAP laws. TRAP stands for Targeted Regulation of Abortion Providers. And what they try to do is handicap the ability of medical providers to perform the abortions. Um, In Louisiana, the proposed law, which was enacted, I think, back in 2014, says if a a medical provider wants to um, uh, perform abortions, they have to have um, privileges at a local hospital. Right now, abortions can be done in a clinic setting. You go to the clinic, it's not a hospital, it's a clinic. You go in, the abortion is performed, and you leave. 
to require the um, the doctor performing the abortion to have hospital privileges and access to a local hospital, I think within a 30 mile radius um, in big states, can really hamper um, a woman's ability to obtain an abortion, and it will hamper um, these clinics from providing the services. If they've got people performing these these abortions who don't have hospital privileges, um, it can really limit, really limit someone's ability to find an abortion facility that will um, be recognized. Now, this same type of trap law um, was enacted several years back in Texas. It went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court uh, struck it down. The trick with this Louisiana case, John, is now a very similar type of trap law is being tested before this Supreme Court with Gorsuch and Kavanaugh as members. That was not the case when the Texas matter was um, heard and decided um, against the state. That's why um, Chuck Schumer is so out of his mind angry because he's in front of a group of abortion rights activists. They know that this Louisiana case is coming down the pike, and if the currently composed Supreme Court upholds the trap laws that were set up in Louisiana, it has a crippling effect on access to abortions, not to perform the procedure, but to fund a facility and human beings who have the credentials to perform the abortions. That undercuts Roe, which says that abortions are the right of everyone nationally and not to be interfered with by states. If Louisiana can undercut Roe, then other states could follow suit, and you could wind up with a bunch of varying states with different abortion laws. So you might find that Louisiana is a difficult state to get an abortion. You might find that uh, Rhode Island is a very easy state. And that's the backdrop, just to finish it up, is that's the backdrop why last year the abortion rights activists um, in the General Assembly here in Rhode Island wanted that specific uh, right to abortion legislation statewide so that if Roe was undercut by a case such as this trap law case, that unlike Louisiana, abortions would still be readily available in this state. And then if this case is upheld Louisiana, Mississippi is going to have one set of laws, California something else. You're going to have a checkerboard of different limitations on abortion around the country, which um, certainly the pro-life people will think it's great and the abortion rights people are going to think it's dreadful. So it's huge stakes. Huge stakes. Tim Dodd, before we let you go, and again, folks, good afternoon. It's John DePietro with our legal expert attorney, Tim Dodd. Could you just touch on this uh, Little Compton case that was uh, been in the news and has a lot of people buzzing about it? That's a, this is a very interesting case, and it's so much huger than the normal case. The normal um, adverse possession case is you and I are neighbors and... I kind of know where the property line is, but I put my fence 10 feet over onto your property line and um, just because I want to. And if you don't say anything about it after 10 years, I own that 10-foot strip of your property. Um, in Rhode Island, to obtain another person's property by adverse possession, there has to be a continuous, t- for a period of 10 years, 
actual, open, notorious, hostile, and continuous and exclusive use of the other's property. So if I put up a fence and I plant trees and I mow the grass and you don't object, after 10 years, I own that piece of property that was previously yours. If you don't want that to occur, you would have to send me a letter within that 10-year period saying, Dear Tim, I know you're adversely using my property. I object. That stops the running of the continuous 10-year period. And this little Compton case, through a glitch in the tax assessor's office, the plaintiff found properties which were not being appropriately taxed. He deeds them to himself, and that's an adverse ownership interest as against the true owners who didn't know they owned it. They kind of didn't know, but the plaintiff, who was pretty savvy, did know, acquires the title through a quitclaim deed, and after 10 years, he's the owner. And this is, I think, 13 acres in Little Compton, which is worth a reasonably good chunk of chain. It's subdividable land. Um, they put up boundary markers. They put up fences. They cleared trees. Um, the plaintiffs did everything necessary to um, show that they were using the property not their own in an open, continuous, hostile, notorious manner. Um, the defendants, the people who lost, complained that, you know, the plaintiff was a bit of a sharpie and did this by design, and the Supreme Court said, yes, he did, but that's the law. Um, it was a tricky case. There was a two-to-two -two decision, which is unusual in the Supreme Court. Um, in the Superior Court, the plaintiff acquired the property by adverse possession. The people who lost the property appealed to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court was tied 2-2. When there's a tie, um, it, that means that the Superior Court judgment is upheld. So these folks wind up with the property. But there's so many, John, in the Superior Court system, so many, many adverse possession cases, and it's usually because of fences, a shed which is put over the boundary line. Um, the rules are the same, 10 years of open, notorious, hostile, um, continuous, use and occupancy of another person's property. You just never see 13 acres um, in play. It's typically strips of property between abutting owners. You know, there's one more um, there's one more thing that I'm seeing that just popped up on Twitter, Tim. We'll, we'll touch on it next week, but at the Rhode Island State House, there is actually a bill in the, in the Senate. They've introduced a bill to, they say, restrict freedom of the press in Rhode Island and crack down on what they call, quote, false narratives. The Stop Guilty by, Ac by Accusation Act preclude the media, this is how it's written, engaging in defamation in kind through selective reporting on cases and controversies that cultivate false narratives so it unduly injures the accused, causing them to be shunned and avoided by the general public. It would basically ban the media from covering a story until it comes to its uh, conclusion within the courts. Tim Dodd, the first thing that pops to mind is now with uh, Representative John Carnavali, that was in 
the news that he was not living in his home in Providence, instead of at home in Johnston. This act would prevent the media from reporting on that because it had not reached its its uh, probable conclusion. I mean, th- this is absurd to have an act like this. Well, this is this is very Orwellian. If it would ever see the light of day, it would undercut the freedom of the press. It would undercut freedom of speech. Um, something similar to this in a different way happens right now in Sweden, where if there's a crime, you can't say, you know, a 30-year-old black male assaulted a 25-year-old Hispanic female. Basically, you've got to say a person assaulted a person on a street and a crime was committed. It's so scrubbed clean of any um identifying characteristics male female black white young old um they're precluded in their press from reporting on virtually any um factual details before a case is concluded so it's basically reporting nothing you have no context you don't know what the heck they're talking about um if that law ever even gets traction in this state you'll know that we're really really in trouble Folks, he is our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, great job as always. We'll talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care. All right, folks, there it is. Now, I am seeing that, and we'll see whether or not that uh, goes through. This portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by K's. Remember, lunch, dinner, drinks in the lounge. Stop by K's. They're waiting for you. 766-1380. 766-1380. Stop guilt by accusation act. So that would, at the Rhode Island State House, they basically want to stop you and the media from talking about any story until, in fact, that person has been, uh, let me see, Pun- punish the media for selectively reporting facts is the way they're calling it, which is ludicrous. And that's normally the, um, is those that, uh, they jammed up on something, they just blame the media is what it comes down to. Now, I'm also just seeing some uh, coronavirus in New York, nine new confirmed cases, including one on Long Island. That's new today. Elizabeth Warren has uh, there it is. Um, Beth Crowley, co-sponsor to punish lawmakers, they say, for fake news. <laughs> uh, let me just read this. Four state Senate Democrats have introduced but already abandoned legislation, restrict Rhode Island news outlets, freedom to report on stories. Sandra Cano, big progressive from Pawtucket, filed legislation. Um, negative media coverage. Uh, Greg only introduced the request of Rep. Grace Diaz. She's, they're gonna, now they're saying they're going to withdraw the bill. Um, the bill misspells the phrase press corps as press corps, C-O-R-E. Second sponsor of the bill, Senator Elizabeth Crowley. She wasn't the lead sponsor. Protect people who had been accused, not found guilty. Want to talk to Cano about commenting further. And then Harold Metz of Providence. So they want to punish the media. Uh, but what that really is, uh, withdraw. They want to have a bill to go after the media to pre- prevent members of the media from basically... Um, <laughs> that is ridiculous. Wow. All right, 766-1380. You can email me, john at topetro.com. So, folks, good afternoon. Very eventful day, as I mentioned, with Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren has withdrawn from the race for president. She has not endorsed anyone. That's very significant. So now there are down 
to two. I don't count Tulsi Gabbard as someone within the mix of that. So it's down to Bernie against Biden. And next Tuesday, this is when it all rumbles. Hey, I want to remind you, if you ever find yourself in an accident, pick up the phone and call West Fountain Auto Body, 272-3340. It's Kenny, it's Patricia, it's Kaylee, it's your vehicle. Find yourself in an accident, call West Fountain Auto Body today. They're going to work for you, not the insurance company. Did someone hit your car? Call West Fountain, 272-3340, 272-3340. West Fountain Auto Body, a lot more ahead on the John DePietro Show. Attention business owners. In today's world, customers judge you by your website. And for most people, their first introduction to your business or company is your website. Karen Etchells at InnoVest is here to help. Give her a call at 401-321-2799. Hey, now it's 2020. you got to freshen up that old website design that Al Gore invented. If you've been thinking about updating your website or if you have questions about how to get the most out of social media for your business, you could receive a free consultation from a local digital marketing professional and she's been doing this work for 25 years. Contact Karen Etchells at InnoVest Digital Marketing. She will help you better position your brand on the web to engage visitors and get results. She's local and responsive. Give Karen a call for a free consultation at 4 401-321-2799. That's 401-321-2799. Or find Karen on the web at www.innovast.com. Henry Oil. Folks, they want to be your local oil provider. Call Henry Oil today at 401-521-0200. Henry Oil, since 1947. You have Carmine, you have Lori. Full-service fuel company, fuel oil, diesel, gasoline delivery, 24-hour burner service for contracted regular customers, oil burner service and installation, automatic delivery, budget plans. You can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today, 401-521-0200. Switch to Henry Oil. Reliable, affordable fuel oil delivery. Residential, commercial fuel oil delivery serving Rhode Island and most of southeastern Mass. Henry Oil, 521 Zero two hundred online at henryoil.com. You are listening to the John DePietro Show on 99.9 FM and 1380 AM. News Talk WNRI. All right, and we're back on this Thursday. This portion of the John DePietro Show is brought by Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland. Do you have a plumbing emergency? You do? You need a good plumber? I have a great plumber. Victor Quartz, C-O-R-T-S, Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland. Call them today, 401-714-8478. 714-8478. Courts, C-O-R-T-S, Courts Plumbing of Cumberland. You have a problem with your drain or your pipes, repair and maintenance, hot water tank, bathroom remodel, fully licensed and insured. You can depend on Victor Courts and Courts Plumbing of Cumberland. Family-run business over 20 years. It's Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland, 714-8478. Well, folks, good afternoon. Good afternoon to everybody again on uh, Facebook Live. Um, Let me uh, pull it up. You can always then go back. If you ever miss the show, you can go back and uh, watch that. And then, folks, if you ever miss any portion of the program, there's Christine, you can certainly go to depetro.com, D-E-P-E-T-R-O.com, and then everything is right there. So, obviously, very eventful day. Uh, the presidential race on the Democrat side is now down to Senator Bernie Sanders against former Vice President Joe Biden. 
And I'm looking at headlines. Biden can finish Bernie in Michigan. Elizabeth Warren has dropped out the trail of tears. Uh, Republicans see Joe wins as setback is another headline. Is Idaho turning a little blue? Primary may provide clues. Um, Let's see. Clinton blames Lewinsky affair on job pressures. I did it to manage my anxieties. And then you heard we talked about this with uh, attorney Tim Dodd. Schumer threatens Kavanaugh Gorsuch on Supreme Court steps. That was uh, terrible. But President Trump tonight, he's doing a town hall meeting. And it's going to be on uh, Fox News, I believe it's 630. It's 6, 6.30. Now, earlier, Governor Amundo, in case you missed it, the governor did have a press briefing at, uh, from about 12 to about quarter of one earlier today. Governor Amundo. Rhode Island leaders urge schools group postpone or cancel trips abroad. So that is uh, definitely and obviously a um, developing story. Rhode Island governor and the health director, Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott, held a news conference to update the state. Governor Undo, by the way, did in fact praise Vice President Mike Pence and said he's been uh, terrific and he's been very, very responsive. The governor also asked, now see this part, all state employees who travel to affected areas the past week stay home for two weeks. What does that mean? So now the state workers just say, oh, yeah, I, uh, I, I went, uh, traveled abroad. I was in Italy. So now I'm going to just stay at home for the next two. Now that says stay at home for the next two weeks. It doesn't mean that they'd actually be there. I, I don't know about that. I think they should have to prove through passport that they were somewhere away. Now, also, uh, later on, I will have an update on DePetro.com, the latest on St. Ray's. And the information I had, I, I, dis- I um, revealed this earlier, is that from what I understand, I've been led to believe and told by people that know the person infected, the tour guide on the trip became sick. I believe the tour guide in Italy then did, in fact, test positive. And it was the... Um, person from St. Ray's that then picked up the microphone. Oh, he's sick. All right, then I'll talk to everybody. And that's how they believe that he in fact got infected. He's John DePetro. He's really in the know with his talk show on your Listen, enjoy this Thursday. It's John DePietro. Don't forget the um, Trump town hall meeting today. Go to DePietro.com. Visit the website, DePietro.com. We're back tomorrow at 11. Donna Perry will be in studio. And uh, stay tuned. The John Dion program is next right here on AM 1380, 99.9 FM, right after the 2 o'clock news. We are an official Rhode Island inspection station as well. WNRI Winsocket, W236CW, W260DC. USA Radio News with Tim Berg. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren is dropping out of the Democratic primary. Speaking outside her home in Massachusetts, she says, I will not be running for president in 2020, but I guarantee I will stay in the fight for the hardworking folks across this country who have gotten short end of the stick over and over. That's been the fight of my life, and it will continue to be so. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says the United States has offered humanitarian assistance and medical supplies to those countries in need 
due to the growing coronavirus threat. We're working with Italy and South Korea, two countries that have been hit especially hard, uh, to create effective exit screenings for passengers coming to the United States. We've also extended offers to help the Islamic Republic of Iran. And we hope that the government of Iran will heed our offers of humanitarian assistance and medical supplies. USA Radio News. It's time to call Woonsocket Tax Services at 765-1840. Conveniently located at 172 Front Street with parking available for our clients. Get precise personal and business tax preparations. Our staff are registered tax preparations preparers. Call 765-1840 for Woonsocket Tax Services. The electronic filing too. Call 765-1840. Online at woontax.com. Senior services, our pleasure. Woonsocket Tax Services is up to date on all tax credits. Get maximum refunds, file early. Call 765-1840 and schedule an appointment. The IRS does not endorse any particular tax return preparers. For more information on income tax preparers, go to irs.gov. Middle Tennessee is still shaken after tornadoes claimed two dozen lives this week. Here's an update from USA Radio Network's Chris Barnes. Our heart pours out to the families that have lost loved ones. That's Tennessee Congressman John Rose discussing Tuesday morning's outbreak of tornadoes that killed 24 people in the state of Tennessee, including 18 people in Putnam County, which he represents. We have a long 